For our lesson, we're going to read Genesis 41, verses 50 through 52. Genesis 41, 50 through 52. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, before to him, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I have found out several things today, one of which is that a whole bunch of our ladies believe that their husbands are analytical. And that uh, as we talked about Philip in our Bible class this morning, the apostle, that he was an analyst in his personality and several ladies, uh, sweet sisters in Christ have said, you know, you were talking about my husband this morning. Um, that's an okay thing, that's good. It's good to have people who think about facts. Another thing that I've discovered recently is that since March, I have not preached a sermon without PowerPoint. And so just because, why is John standing in the pulpit? Why is there no PowerPoint on the screen behind him? Just because, because there's more than one way to deliver a sermon. There's more than one way to effectively communicate God's word. And so as we think about the things from God this evening, let's think about the fact that God can use us in lots and lots of different ways as we proclaim his word. I also want you to think about this before the lesson begins. This particular lesson, we're going to talk about family. We're going to continue to talk about Joseph and what you've been reading about in our Reading in Sync program this past week. Just consider, okay, hear me out. Just consider listening to the lesson and maybe not taking notes for once. And the reason is, I think if you listen and you're not so much trying to concentrate on writing down every scripture and every reference that we bring up, there may be some things that all of us need to think about in our family relationships. There may be some things that all of us need to change. And so just give that some consideration. If you're just one of those people that I have to take notes, this is what I do, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, so go ahead. But if not, think about what we've been learning and reading this week and think about maybe just sitting and listening and taking something from this lesson that you can implement in your family relationships this week. Can God's grace really help my home? Is that possible? When I talk about the grace of God, I'm not just talking about what God does in salvation. The Bible speaks about the grace of God that brings salvation appearing to all men, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. But grace is more than just salvation. The word grace itself means blessing. It means favor. It means kindness. And so God blesses us in lots of different ways. Yes, he blesses us when he saves us from our sins, and that's grace, but he also blesses us when he gives us sunlight and rain. Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 45. He also blesses us when he gives us food and the harvest of the earth, Acts chapter 14, verses 17 through 22. And so when you think about the grace of God, it's multifaceted. It's not just about saving me from my sins. It's about the way that God blesses and enriches our lives on a daily basis in a thousand, in a million practical ways, oftentimes unappreciated. Can God's grace help my home? Let's think about Joseph together this evening because Joseph came from a crazy home background. 
When you go back in the book of Genesis and you read about the story of Joseph, it's kind of like a layer cake. The story of Joseph, it has to do at its top layer about the providence of God. God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to preserve his descendants and that he was going to bless them and protect them. And so what you see happening in the life of Joseph is God fulfilling that promise. God's doing what he promised Abraham back in Genesis 12 that he was going to do. He's saving those sons of Jacob for future generations for Abraham's sake, for the promise's sake. But then there's another layer to the story of Joseph. Down at the lowest layer, maybe, it's the integrity and the faith of Joseph that we talked about this morning. The fact that Joseph endured all kinds of mistreatment and the fact that he was still faithful to God and he still obeyed God's word no matter what, no matter how bad life got and how difficult circumstances got. That's another layer. Then there's a middle layer in the story of Joseph. You got the top layer about what God's doing through Joseph. You've got this bottom layer of Joseph's integrity and his, his standing for what's right. And the middle layer is Joseph's family. You know, just before services this evening, I was visiting with Tom Barger. And Tom brought up the fact that, you know what? Those patriarchs were not very nice people. You think about it. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, those guys, they took their brother, threw him in a pit. Okay, Reuben wasn't part of it, but they still sold him into slavery. And then they took the bloody coat that they had made and they gave it to their dad. And they said, here, dad, we found this coat. And they let him connect the dots and draw conclusions about what had happened. And then they stood there and they watched their father weep not just for a little while, he wept and he wept and he wept and he mourned and he never got over what he thought was the death of Joseph. You wanna talk about a messed up family? And then you think about years down the line after Joseph has been a slave and after Joseph has been a prisoner and after Joseph finally is elevated to a high rank in Egypt, what's gonna to happen to his family when his brothers come to Egypt? I mean, what would happen in an ordinary story? If somebody were making a movie about the life of Joseph and they didn't know how this all worked out, vengeance, punishment, what do you do with your family? And by the way, the things that are going on in Joseph's family have been going on for generations because you remember Abraham, Joseph's great-grandfather? Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, remember? Ishmael was the older of the two, but he was also not the son of promise. And when Isaac was born, Sarah became jealous of Ishmael, became jealous of Hagar, her hand, handmaiden, who she'd given to Abraham to conceive this child. And so Abraham dismissed Hagar and Ishmael, cast them out. He showed favoritism between his two sons, even though he was the one that was responsible. And then you think, okay, well, maybe Isaac learned the lessons from Abraham about favoritism and not playing favorites with your kids. No, Isaac does the same thing because Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac decides that he loves Esau while Rebekah loves Jacob. And you remember the story in Genesis 25 where Rebekah sends Jacob with hairy arms. You know, he had, he had taken animal skin to make his arms seem hairy and made himself kind of smell like Esau. And he deceived his father who was going blind at that point into believing that he was his brother. And so you've got sibling rivalries, Isaac and Ishmael, and now Jacob and Esau. 
Well, maybe Jacob learned the lesson. I mean, Jacob had a hard time in his life when you look at the things that happened to him and the reconciliation with Esau was still very strained. But then Jacob did the exact same thing with his sons. And as we read in Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 3 this past week, we noticed that what Jacob was doing with Joseph was showing favoritism. He gave him the coat of many colors. Joseph wasn't out in the fields with his brothers for whatever reason, probably preferential treatment. And so what you've got as you look at Joseph's family is you've got some really deep-seated types of issues. You've got people from generation to generation to generation showing favoritism to the kids, playing favorites, and it never works out well, does it? Somebody has said you don't read the book of Genesis to find examples of happy, godly families. You just don't. Genesis is about families, yes, but it's not necessarily about how to build a happy, godly family. And when you look at what Joseph inherited, he's his father's favorite, but his brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery and then told their father he was dead. So the question I wanna to ask tonight as we're sitting there pondering these things is this, can God's grace really help my home? Because you've probably recognized in your family that there are repeated behaviors, there are repeated attitudes, and they repeat through generations. And if you think back, if you knew your great grandparents, you might have seen a behavior or an attitude, and then you might see it repeated in your grandparents. And then you might see it repeated even in your parents and the way that they behave. And now you might even see it, if you're honest, in yourself. And maybe you even, if you're grown and have children, maybe you even see those same behaviors, those same attitudes, showing favoritism in Joseph's case. You see those things even in your own children and grandchildren. Can God's grace really help my home? Do I have to be a prisoner to continue to repeat the mistakes that others in my family have made for maybe generations? Is there a way out? Is this just the way my family is? Do we just continue to do these things over and over? Or is there something different? Is there something better? God can bless your home. And I believe the life of Joseph proves that. You do not have to be a prisoner to what everybody else in your family has done. And you can stand for what's right and you can honor God. And here's why. Listen very carefully. The reason why I say what I say tonight is because the Bible says that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. When I come to God by faith... I can have access to his grace, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. If I want the blessing and grace of God in my life and in my home, it is accessed by my faith. I trust in God, I put my hope in him, and I say, things in my home are not the way God would have for them to be. I'm going to be different. I'm going to choose what's different. Now, I want you to definitely open your Bibles with me for just a moment to Genesis chapter 41. And look, if you would, at verses 10 through 12. It was just read a moment ago. Genesis chapter 41, verses 10 through 12. Can things be different? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting as we consider these things that the Bible describes 
how Joseph had a family. Joseph had a family. He had children who came and, excuse me, I said verses 10 through 12. I'm talking about 50 and following. Sorry. Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 and following. Joseph had children while he was in Egypt. And so he's creating a family as well. But he says some things that are really interesting. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 50, Joseph had two sons before the years of famine came. He had a wife that was given to him by Pharaoh. And it says in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. You know what the word Manasseh means? The word Manasseh literally means forget. That's what the word means. So I'm going to name the first son forget. Well, why'd you call him that, Joseph? And he explains in verse 51, he says, For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And then in verse 52, there was a second son. His name is Ephraim. Ephraim means bountiful or plenteous or fruitful. Why'd you name him that? You've got two sons, one's named Forget and the other one's named Fruitful. And Joseph goes on to explain, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can God's grace bless my home? I'd like to suggest to you this evening that Joseph made four concrete decisions, four choices that helped him to have access to the grace of God and he did not have to repeat the mistakes that Abraham had made in playing favorites, that Isaac had made in playing favorites, that Jacob his father had made in playing favorites. He broke the chain, the cycle that was going on in his family and he did it by faith. Four decisions that he made, here's number one. When Joseph went into Egypt, Joseph chose to trust God rather than surrendering to his circumstances. We discussed that at length this morning. When he went into Egypt, he made a decision in his mind, even though he was sold into slavery and it was against his will and it was unfair and it was oppressive and it was wrong, even though he had done nothing deserving of that treatment from his brethren, Joseph decided that in this circumstance, he was going to trust God regardless. Genesis 39 verses 2 through 6, we spoke about this morning where the Bible says repeatedly, God was with Joseph. And by the way, Potiphar could see that God was with Joseph. I'm fascinated by that. In Genesis 39, 2 through 6, it says Potiphar could see God's grace, God's presence in Joseph's life. I don't know what that means specifically. I don't know what it was about Joseph, but Potiphar saw that this young man, there was something different about him. He has faith in his God. He's convicted that what his God has said is the right path for him. And he's going to stick to that path regardless of the circumstances that he finds himself. You know, you and I, as we look at our lives, we might be disappointed by some of the circumstances, especially where our family is concerned. It's not what God would hope for it to be. It's certainly not what you and I might hope for it to be. But we can, by faith, make the decision right now that we're going to trust God rather than just surrendering to the circumstances that afflict us. You think about some specific examples. Young mothers struggling to raise kids alone. Difficult circumstance. 
Can we choose to trust God? Widows and widowers struggling alone. Horrible, terrible circumstance. Can I choose to trust God? People who remember their childhood and their childhood memories are not very happy because of family behaviors. Can I in my life right now choose to trust God? What I want you to see in Joseph is this. He did his best to be obedient and faithful to God everywhere he found himself. He always strove to do the right thing. He was a man who lived by faith. And he believed, brothers and sisters and friends, that God's ability to bless is bigger than any circumstance that he faced. And so he trusted God, whether he was a slave, whether he was a prisoner, whether he was second in command of all the land of Egypt. He was a man who lived by faith. And that's a decision that you can make regardless of your circumstances in your family. Not only that, but secondly, Joseph chose God's standards over the status quo. God's standards over the status quo. If you're still looking at Genesis 41, again, verse 51, he has this boy named Manasseh. God has caused me to forget. What specifically does it say in Genesis 41, 51 that God's caused him to forget? He says, he's made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. One of the things I believe Joseph must have pondered a long time while he was in slavery and later while he was in prison is how did it come to this? What mistakes did I make? How did I get to a point in my life where my brothers hated me so much that they sold me as a slave and a bunch of them wanted to kill me before that happened? How did I get to a point in life and what decisions were made and maybe Joseph, in thinking about all those things, he must have contemplated the difficulties involved in, in trying to make sense of all of it. But maybe one of the things he noticed was, you know, if I think back to Abraham, my great-grandfather, great he played favorites with his boys. If I think back to Isaac, he did the same thing. And I think back to my father, Jacob, he was doing the exact same thing. And this divided family background, this animosity, this hatred between brothers, that's been seen in every generation. I'm going to choose God's standard rather than the status quo. And so he names his son Manasseh. God has made me forget. I'm putting away all the craziness, all the nuttiness of my family. It stops right here. It stops with me. It stops with my home. I'm going to raise my boys in a different way. I'm going to raise them in a way that honors God, and I'm going to show them that I love them both, and I'm not playing favorites. Incidentally, we didn't mention this this morning, haven't done so tonight. Did you know that there's nothing negative said about Joseph anywhere in the Bible? The Bible is not shy at all about telling us when a hero, some person of faith, messes up. It's not shy at all about bringing up the faults and the sins of people like David or Abraham, but it doesn't say anything negative about Joseph. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. But God wants us to see this man and the way he's choosing to live his life is worthy of our meditation and worthy of our emulation in many ways. I'm choosing God's standard rather than the status quo. 
Let me ask you a question tonight very practically. What's your standard? What's your standard of what a good family looks like? A good dad, a good mom. What's your standard of what a good parent-child relationship looks like? How do you decide when you're raising your kids in a healthy way? How do you know? Is it just because other people pat you on the back and say you're doing a good job? How do you know that what you're doing is really pleasing the Lord? May I suggest to you tonight that if you're using any other standard besides Jesus Christ, you're using the wrong one. What does a good husband look like? A good husband treats his wife like Jesus would treat his wife. What does a good wife look like? A good wife treats her husband the way Jesus would treat her husband. What does a good parent look like? A good parent treats his child the way Jesus would treat his child. What does a good child look like to his parent? A good child treats his parents the way Jesus would treat his father. You see? We can choose God's standard. And it's not about what my mom and dad did or your mom and dad did. It's not about what I see cousins and aunts and uncles doing. And I think they've got a good marriage. It's about focusing and putting our eyes on Jesus. And isn't that what the Hebrews writer tells us to do? Run with endurance the race set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I suggest that what Joseph did was he chose God's standard. And if Jesus had been in the world at that point, in his physical earthly ministry, Joseph would have said, I'm gonna to choose to follow Jesus and I'm gonna treat my family the way Jesus would. How do you break the power of the past? How do you break the influence that our family has on us? Did you know that your family has the greatest influence on you of anybody, bar none? You wanna know what kids are gonna grow up to believe, they're gonna grow up more or less to believe the same things their parents did. What are kids going to adopt as their values? More or less, they're gonna adopt the values that their parents had, more or less. We're all free moral agents. But there's something even more powerful than our families, it's faith. It's trusting and obeying God's will. So Joseph chose God's standards over the status quo. But then third, what did Joseph do in order to allow God to bless his home? Joseph chose forgiveness over bitterness. Turn over to Genesis 45 in your Bible, if you would. Genesis chapter 45. This was not one of the chapters we read this week. And I'll tell you this, as we were picking out chapters for reading for the life of Joseph and the farther along week, it was really hard because there's an awful lot of chapters about Joseph. And so we chose 37, 39, 40, 41, and then 50 to kind of bring to a conclusion the readings about Joseph. But there's an awful lot that we missed. And Genesis 45 is interesting because now Joseph is the ruler of Egypt and his brothers come to him and they don't know it's him. They don't have any idea that, that Joseph is, is this person they're standing in front of. And Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and... He's got the power of life and death. He literally could give the word and his brothers could pay for what they had done to him. 
You know, sometimes in people's families, they long for days like that. They long because they're so angry and so bitter towards somebody else. They're so resentful about what somebody has done to them or how they've been treated. They long for the time when they could get revenge. They long for the day when they could stand before their family and they could have the kind of power that Joseph had over them. Whatever Joseph chose to do, however he chose to exact retribution, he could have used it. But in Genesis chapter 45, Look at verse four, please come near to me. They came near. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. There's that top layer of the cake. What's going on in Genesis theologically? God is saving Israel. He's saving the children of Israel and he's using Joseph to do it. But not only that, look at verse seven, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now Joseph says in verse eight, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph chose to look at his life and he chose to look at these brothers who had done him wrong. And he chose to look at all the injustice and the wrongs that happened to him. And he wasn't saying that they hadn't hurt him. And he wasn't saying that this was all okay and water under the bridge. But what Joseph did was he decided of his own free will that he was going to forgive his family. Think about this. If Joseph had not been a forgiving man, from a, from a biblical perspective, what would have happened to the tribes of Israel? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all those 12 tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, by the way, half tribes of Israel. You think the descendants of Manasseh and Ephraim are going to go with the other tribes? You think they're going to conquer the land and they consent to live with their brethren? No, this was a reconciliation that was important, not just for Israel's sake. It was important for Joseph's sake. Joseph decided to forgive his family. And it may well be the case in some of our lives tonight that there are people that we harbor bitterness and resentment toward that we need to think very seriously and very carefully about what the Bible teaches concerning having an unforgiving heart. Jesus said, if you will not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. We ought to think about forgiveness. Some people get obsessed about evening the score. They get obsessed about getting an apology. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But what Joseph did by faith was he decided he was not going to remain bitter and resentful toward his brethren. And he treated them instead with mercy and with kindness and with forgiveness. He set himself free by doing that. And then fourth, what decisions did Joseph make that helped him and helped God to be able to bless his family. You know, God's grace is available for your family. It's available for your home. It's available under your circumstances. But God's not necessarily going to beat down the door to make sure that his way is the way in your home. You have to invite. You have to access his grace by faith. What did Joseph do? Number four, he chose ministry over misery. Ministry. Servanthood. Turn over to Genesis chapter 50 and look, if you would, at what happens. This is the passage that's very famous, Genesis 50, verse 20. 
did you know that it was spoken after Jacob had died? And Joseph's brothers were wondering now because maybe Joseph has just kept us alive. Maybe this has all been kind of a ruse and Joseph's going to kill us now because our father's gone. And now he can do what he wants. And so Joseph has to reassure his brothers that that's not the case. But they come to him and they say, we're your slaves. And in other words, they're saying, please don't kill us, whatever you do, Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, once again, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph saw his role in his family as being one who would serve What's your role, Joseph, as you look at your brothers, as you look at and you think about the way that they treated you and all that went on in your family background, what is your role? What have you decided to do? Joseph would say, I've decided to be a servant. I have a position and I have power and I have authority and I can bless my brothers. I can be a servant to them. He never sugarcoated what they did to him. He never said, oh, it's no big deal. But what he did do was he chose to be a servant and to save them. You know, a lot of times when we're mistreated, whether it's by our family, whether it's by anybody, a lot of times when we're mistreated, we take on a victim mentality. The victim mentality, woe is me. This is terrible what's happened to me. Can you believe that someone has done this to me? And we dwell on that and we meditate on that and we become so obsessed with that 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 becomes almost part of our identity. I am a victim. I have been mistreated. Joseph could have done that. But you know what? When we choose to be the victim, we choose to be miserable. Because have you ever met someone who had that idea about themselves that was truly and genuinely happy? Jesus chose ministry over misery, and so did Joseph. Ministry, be a servant. The key to freedom in our homes, the key to being free from the painful past that we endure is to choose to become a servant like Jesus. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Is the home important to God? Absolutely. God created the home. It's his idea. It's his design. Can God bless my home? He wants to bless your home. He wants for his grace to be seen in your home. But brothers and sisters and friends, there are some choices that every one of us needs to make in order for God and his grace to be seen more in our homes. Focus on Jesus. Let God's standard be the standard and choose service and servanthood. Those things Joseph did and the rest, as they say, is a pretty good history as you read about his family and his lineage from that point on. God wants you and me, by faith, to start acting with integrity and kindness and love and mercy and patience and forgiveness toward the people that we live with. 
That's what he wants. And he has promised that when we'll resolve to do that, he's promised that his grace and his goodness will be seen more and more in us and in our homes. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. We're going to offer heaven's invitation at this point. Maybe you're not a New Testament Christian. You want to obey the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It's good news because the grace of God is not just for blessing our homes and it's not just providing rain and sunshine. The grace of God can save you from your sins. And the way that you come to Christ, the way that you have access to that grace is by faith, just like with Joseph in his home. What does faith look like? When I want to accept the salvation that God offers, what does faith look like? Faith believes in Christ. Faith repents of sin. Faith is baptized, believing that at the point of baptism, we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to respond in faith this evening. Maybe you need to ask for prayers. Whatever your need, once you come, while together we stand and while we sing.